0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm Daniel Shea, your host for today's interview with William Germanum, professor of English at Cooper Union, New York. His book, On Revision, The Only Writing That Counts, was published by the University of Chicago Press this year. Revision has the re built right in. Once more. Do it again. But once more what? Do which again? The short answer, ask once more, and answer again. Collect and sift once more, and arrange it all again. Tell once more, think once more, argue your point once more, learn and teach, and learn while teaching, once more. That's the short answer, and as short answers usually go, this one too leaves out a real lot. So then, what actually are we writers when we revise doing once more and again? Well, when I consider my guest on today's episode, and since I know that he can fill in the row of gaps I'm sure to leave here, I'm going to take a gamble and give the short, short answer to the question, what does revision do once more and again? And I'm going to say that it is simply the writing. Revision is writing, but it's also different. Now, I did say I was taking a gamble here, and as I hear myself speak, I'm kind of starting to think that I'm gambling and losing, because if writing is revision and revision writing, well then, what's the point? I mean, it's all either one or the other or just both, so why insert a scalpel and draw it along whichever weavy and twisty boundary line discernible to the scalpel holder and pull the two apart, revision and writing? To be plain... What is the writer-turned-reviser actually redoing? <clears throat> I say this. 1. Tuning in to the thinker who emerges from the written product. 2. Attending to the other thinkers who, if given the opportunity, would gather around the original thinker and hear and watch that thinker in the act of having ideas. And three, the writer-turned-reviser is finishing and making ready-to-read the writing so that the text can do what finished and ready-to-read text does, namely, transport things into the world of the mind. That is the point of revision. Only the writing that has undergone revision, only that sort of writing, is finished and ready to be read and only the writing finally at this stage of the whole process is good enough to sustain ideas and to share these out to all who will read the ideas. Now, I use some very vague terms here, like ready and good, but these may be as accurate as a person can make it, and really the terms are not so bad when you put them in context. The text that you are revising, you are making ready because as that text stands, it neither serves you, the writer, and your attempt to know, nor does it serve them, the readers, and their attempts to know. The text is unready, but revision makes it ready, and it is in this sense that you're finishing what you've started. And as to the term good, well, good is always good enough. The process of revising improves upon an initial process of having written, so that both writer and reader get more. And now I see my gamble is all it's ever going to be. So I'll hold my words and invite the words of my guest, William Germano, who, when the topic is writing and revision, can play chess to my crapshoot. In his latest book, On Revision, The Only Writing That Counts, William Germano says that you, the writer, become you, the reviser, whenever, and I quote, you want to write better so that others can read your writing better. And this, dear listeners, is what we mean by the word checkmate. Sure thing. So let's begin today's episode, William Germano, and on revision. Bill, welcome to Scholarly Communication.
1: Hi, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me on. <clears throat> um, I very much enjoyed that uh, uh, description of playing chess uh, with uh, your guest, but possibly much more importantly with your reader. Um I love talking about the problem of revision because it is, the it is to use a, a cliche, that I would suggest eliminating in a revision. It is the elephant in the room of writing. We all do it. Whatever kind of work we're working on, we will take an additional step. We may not name that step revision, or we may. We may set aside a stage in our production of whatever it is and say, yes, now we're going to do the revision stage, ladies and gentlemen, meaning, of course, one is speaking to oneself. But I want you to kind of hold on to that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, because the purpose of revising is for an audience, even as one imagines that one is doing it for one's self. Um, the, the idea of revising feels clear enough. The process of revising, however, is both intimate, private, under-discussed, difficult to talk about. How can you tell me how to revise? You don't know what I'm trying to write, says any, any writer quite reasonably. How can you tell me how to revise? You don't know who I'm writing for a a different or possibly the same writer, will say, equally reasonably. And so what I think is needed or what I've struggled with is trying to find a way of explaining a process that would be transferable across genres and across forms, uh, as well as extents from short works to book length work. My primary audience uh, are scholars. My primary audience are writers of what I call high-calorie nonfiction. That may not be the way you describe the monograph you're working on, but uh, it's not a fictional work. It's not poetry. It's not drama. And if one thinks of it as nonfiction, uh, one is making a big step towards um, achieving the what can one call it? The frame of mind that will make it possible for you to look at your work with fresh eyes and to listen to it with fresh ears. Um, What I've tried to do in this book is a bit of a surprise to me as a writer. Uh, I say that because I began working on this maybe 10 years ago, and I felt that Uh, there was so much to be said about revision, and I was going to try to say it. And so I began drafting a manuscript, uh, which I completed a version of. And uh, the University of Chicago Press had kindly made a commitment to me concerning the project. I wrote it up, I sent it happily off, and I got readers' reports back. And the readers' reports were enormously useful. Um, you, you, they they had something of the shape of a fairy tale. Uh, there were there was the report that said, "Yeah, Germano knows stuff about publishing. He has published successfully on writing and publishing before." Yes, you will we'll want to go ahead. We'll, we'll want to have this book in print. The second report was, "I'm not sure about every chapter's structure or intent, but." Uh, I trust him, and he has important things to say uh, if I didn't follow every uh, curve and nuance. The third report pulled the book apart and said, what's he doing? Uh, Why did he do X? Why what audience is he speaking to in this chapter why is this occur here why is this here and of course that is the only cha- that is the only readers report that really affected me and it's not because i hope not because i felt my feelings were being hurt but because that reader had taken the gloves off and had said look if you're going to do this make it work figure out what you're trying to accomplish set out goals for yourself, then go back and follow your own advice and revise it so that it satisfies those goals. And then I spent two years rewriting the book, uh, pretty much stripping it down to the the frame, uh, in fact, rebuilding a great deal of the frame. Uh, I occasionally look at a paragraph and will say, hmm, I don't remember that paragraph looking that way. X numbers of year, X number of years ago, uh, and that's fine. Uh, which means I can still actually I can look at this book now and say there are things in here that I like, which is usually not what I find I I will say about work I've finished and put out there. However nice people might be about it, but in this t- but this time I felt I had got it right, and when I sent it to my publisher, Chicago was very happy with the revision of it, the revision of revision, the jokes just write themselves, Daniel. Once you're working on a book on revision, everybody has a joke about revising the book on revising. And, you know, it's, it's,
2: I I mean, I have to say, I have to say, my, my, my only criticism of the book, if I, if I was reviewer number four, it would be that you put the running joke of revising a book on revising in a footnote (laughs) (laughs) that that belonged as an epigraph up in front. (laughs) No, but I can imagine how it went for you there. I'd be for sure.
1: <laughs> but I, you know, I, I so I still look at the I still look at the text, and uh, it has this. It has this. Uh, your your readers, your listeners cannot cannot see that. But Isaac the designer is a, a genius and has done a cover for the book that I sort of grin and show folks because I had nothing to do with the cover of the book, and uh, it's. It makes me very happy to look at it. It's eye-catching, but also I'll just read the re if I can just read the title off. It has crossed out a series of titles: Revi- rewriting, revise, revise, second draft, final drafts, about revision, on revising, and then finally on revision. So all these titles are there crossed out. On revision is at the end of the list and then in small but red letters, the only writing that counts. And then my name.
2: Oh, it geez. is a wonderful design. It's, it's... It, it really sticks out and it speaks to what the book's about. And in fact, I, I have to say, I, I when looking at it, I mean, it, it caught my eye and, and, and much the way that you describe it now as being something that's just also pleasing to look at but says something too. But I had to wonder, you've partly answered the question, the design wasn't yours, but... Were any of these previous titles actually working titles? And even more importantly to me, the subtitle, the subtitle is a forceful statement. Could, could, could you tell us, speak a little bit to, to your title, if you would, and how yeah, you got there? Uh,
1: um, I, I, the, the subtitle, the only writing that counts, was with me for a long time. That I felt was the forceful statement I wanted to make. And when I've had opportunities to speak to uh, <clears throat> to academic audiences or colleagues, or in some cases, even my my uh, students, um, it is uh, it's the important takeaway. Uh, and it's meant to be startling that everything that we do as writers is <clears throat> preparation for the thing that we show to the world. Um, there are so many analogies, uh, musicians, practicing actors, rehearsing, um, uh, trials in an athletic competition. The only thing that counts is the final thing. It's the thing that you show. Uh, and we, we instinctively understand that but I think there is some sense of resistance to it concerning writing because it doesn't give you an escape it once you commit to that then then I think you have to look at your own work more seriously I also want to say sort of more responsibly and also to be able to ask your writing writing are are you working is this writing doing the things that I wanted the writing to do? so that's uh, that's a partial answer. I don't I didn't come up with all those titles. I think that was entirely Isaac's invention, and that's fine, although I can't say that none of them might have been there in a in an early draft ten years ago. but I, I think I originally wanted to call it just revision. <clears throat> and as I remember, my editor. My editor and I went back and forth and we came with up with unrevision which I'm very happy with.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have to I have to go back though to the subtitle and and I understand uh, it as the message of the book that comes through as well uh, entirely. It's it's the explanation behind it that's so interesting that you give right now and this also comes up in the book because you you really talk in the first few pages about about the genre of the kind of book that you're writing here and if and I could put it into if I was to put it into scientific terms I would be saying that this is basic and applied research at the same time if you get my meaning essentially you're out for the truth of what revision is but you're also very ready to give tips and and advice to people who are in the act of revising um but to get to get back to uh, the point about um this only writing that counts, it is strange that all those analogies you give us, we accept, right? It's guilty, not guilty, that counts. It's who wins the 100 meter dash and who doesn't that counts. And when it comes to writing, I'm not sure uh, what it is. I I think some of your explanations there certainly do serve that we feel like it's the initial creative act that counts. And the revision is just a cleanup process.
1: I think that's right, and I think that that's an attitude. Uh, I, I don't want to take it. I don't want to take on personally the responsibility for shifting people's attitude. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. I'm a little dry this this morning here in New York, um, but I think that if one says these things out loud and has a publisher's uh, credibility and authority behind it. Uh, Chicago I'm, is a wonderful house, and I'm very fortunate to be uh, able to publish with them. One I think lends serious credibility to an attitude towards writing and production that I hope will become part of the way people teach what writing is, it is too easy to allow scholars Uh, advanced undergraduates, graduate students, advanced undergraduates aren't scholars yet, but as they begin scholarship, graduate students beginning their scholarly work, certainly all levels of professionals uh, in teaching and in the areas that are connected to teaching, whatever they may be. um, It's too easy for all those folks to see the writing down, the discovery, the Intuition as in itself constituting the writing, <clears throat> and um, a theme of the book is <clears throat> a theme of the book is the necessity to step away from, as it were, the pleasure of one's own discoveries. They're, they need to be there. Writing has to be pleasurable; otherwise, it really is hell um, for the writer but it also needs to be useful. And in order for that to happen, the writer has to select and decide what to present to the reader. So the reader is, in the course of this book, uh, increasingly in control of the writing and revising process. Uh, and, And this is not necessarily welcome news. There are people who really do want their discoveries, and their insights to be the book. Uh, And my response is those are the the preconditions, the uh, necessary but not sufficient conditions of successful writing, uh, that if one can shift one's writing from the uh, unloading my brain and writing down what's in it on the page to what do I have to say and what do I want, what I have to say to do in the world. One is moving from, uh, I think, from the place where we have to begin to the place where responsibly we have to be, both both as writers and, and frankly, as citizens. That was a very, very long uh, <clears throat> response to the provocation of the question.
2: Uh, <laughs> oh, it. It, it was also very much to the point, Bill, for sure. And it got me thinking about uh, the idea that, and, and I wonder how you would take this. It, it's it's meant to be a bit forceful so the way I want to formulate it. But you as a scholar don't deserve your fellow researchers' attention just because you've thought hard. And I would even translate that into the scientist's world where, you know, the cousin, the brother of, uh, of the, uh, scholar that you don't deserve your fellow researchers attention just because you've designed a study. There's more to it than that. That is so true. And, uh, I
1: like to push it, uh, uh in a slightly ep- epigrammatic du- direction, um, Uh, to say that um, the reader will give you, uh, your your readers will give you their attention in exchange for your attention. And that's different from your message. Uh, That is, what I'm trying to underline by that is that in order to write in a way that is worthy of your reader's time, Uh, is to think seriously about how you are producing what you have on the page, the units of delivery, the connections, the the level of language for the specific audience you're trying to reach, the quality and quantity of examples, the shape of your argument. And finally, something I'm not quite sure I say this exactly this this way in the book, but... uh, a kind of compassion for your reader as well. Um, You want to create something that your reader will say, this writer knows I'm here. This writer understands what I need as a reader from her or his book. This This writer has obviously taken care to pace, order, present, voice, structure, what the writer has to say, so that I, an invisible and unknown reader, have a good chance of following it, of staying with it, of absorbing it, and of finding ways to make use of it in my thinking, in my life, in the world. Uh, Books are awfully ambitious, but we have to remind the book, we have to remind the text of its ambition, and not allow it to be Uh, a locked box into which we invite selected observers.
2: That's great because for me, what what you say there expands to the other end of the equation. And I'm beginning at the end of the equation where the writer sits um, to the reader's end, this lonely, impersonal situation in which, um, and you really observe this in beginner writers, um, that the writer finds him or herself where, you know, the initial reaction upon any sort of feedback is, yeah, but what I meant was, and so on. This idea that you actually want to accompany your text, and it's actually a natural reaction, but it's that natural reaction which we need to sort of relearn people how to how to deal with that's that's what good writing comes into so that the text itself can actually stand out there on its own but what what you expanded into so beautifully here is 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 the reader is going through a similar sort of process it's almost as if the reader would prefer to have the writer show up <laughs> if, if you know, the appointment could be arranged and, and talk things through or hear a short speech and then have a few questions and answers. But the reader is also left alone in a sense. And um, I, I just find that wonderful that there is indeed probably a symmetry to this, isn't there? I, I think there is a symmetry and, and I would press it,
1: I'm going to riskily press it forward because I've... I've said this in the book, and so I I should fess up and say it on on the air. Um, It is not a shocking paradox to declare that it is the reader who makes the book. Um, we, We work our butts off as writers to write material, to organize our ideas, and then to revise them. But it's the reader's engagement with what we've done, with what we've put on the page, that actually activates the thing. It, the, it is the reader who presses go. It is the reader who starts the engine. Um, uh, that may feel as if well, I'm undervaluing all the, the blood, sweat, and tears of putting a book together. I'm not. Um, but what I want to do is to compel writers to recognize how dependent each of us as writers uh, are on, <clears throat> on our readers. Uh, it's not merely that we want our readers to, quote, like our work, and quote, whatever that means. We want the readers to take the work and breathe life into it by reading it. If that doesn't happen, to write a book that's never read, Uh, is about as sad an engagement of difficult labor as as I can envision.
2: And this makes me uh, think also of uh, one of your more famous statements in the book. There are just so many quotable spots that um, catch up inside of literally a sentence most often, at best two, what you've meant for a few pages Uh, you wrap things up so beautifully and and one of them is it's not what i say that counts it's what they hear And, and 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 that i think draws in a few of the aspects that you're just talking about now with uh the writer going through the trouble but realizing that it's perhaps having the patience and the humility to realize that it's it's what comes out at the other end that really matters. Yeah? You talk about the text in this impersonal sense that it's, it's out there and it's, it's, it's going to do what it's going to do, and it's going to do that because of, as you say, the reader, the reader creating it. Um, or another, one, one, another one of the wonderful um, analogies you make is, is to a score yeah? in, a, um, in the musical notes that the composer puts down, but it's the interpretation the musician gives. It's that musician being the reader that brings the music alive.
1: It's, it's, um, it's always a pleasure to, it's a guilty pleasure for me though, to, to bring music in as a way of describing writing. Um, <clears throat> if, if, uh, you yourself or any, any of, uh, uh, your listeners have had the experience of quote, learning end quote, a piece of music. It, things happen in two stages. It's learning all the notes, either where your fingers go or where, um, uh where you need to take your voice if it's vocal music but that's only the score uh it's a, again it's the necessary precondition what you do with it the interpretive work the expressive work is the important bit um i haven't entirely worked out how one could uh, add that to uh a repertoire of a repertory of of uh analogies to revision but i think it helps to underscore perhaps the the complex creative work of producing anything for others. We'd like to imagine that we do the best job possible and turn it over to our editor. And then the editor and her or his team is going to make or suggest essential further changes. Um, it's really, really difficult for an editor to figure out what's in your brain beyond a certain level. Um, having worked in publishing for a long, long time with incredibly smart people. Uh, uh, if you work in scholarly publishing, uh, I, I like to tell young uh, young um, <clears throat> professionals um, who are beginning in those areas, uh, the objective is to work with people smarter than yourself. Um, and, and in doing that is to figure out how you can help them. So... Um, Everything that you do as an editor is um it's i i i dread using this word given how it's been co-opted currently but uh it's very meta uh you are you're writing you're giving advice about a subject um that you can't know intimately and weirdly. Uh, And whatever discipline you happen to be an editor in, anthropology, uh, um, um, biochemistry, uh, um, African-American literature, uh, immigration studies, whatever it is, the scholar you're working on knows more than you do. Um, and, And I want to kind of sort of pick that relationship up in two ways. And this will sound weird, but I I hope it'll make sense. Um, You're writing your book in which you are the specialist for people who don't know you and who will be surprised by some of the things you have to say. But on a fundamental level, they know more than you do. They know different. You don't know who they are. They bring their ex- life experience, they bring their reading experience, they may bring their own experiences as writers and researchers. Um, but they have different knowledge. And if you write for them, assuming that they are smart people with their own, se- with their own um, resource uh, resources, you're going to write better. The other the other piece of this uh, d- dissociative uh, process is, and this is hard, is the project is the objective of looking at your draft as if you did not write it yourself, as if the, the the writing has a knowledge buried in it that you now need to look at as is as it were from the, as a third person um, in re- in revising work. Yeah, as a scholar, you're trying to find a space where you don't remember every single sentence. You don't remember every turn of phrase, every, um, muddied, almost conclusion, uh, every, uh, additional and too long example from another text. Uh, and that's really hard, but I think that there are, um, I think there are strategies and ways that one can position your own brain, uh, or take take a perspective as a writer in looking at a draft, that will increase the possibility, increase the chances of your revising effectively. That was a very long response to to your question, but I'm I, I no. I, I need I to I need about. to
2: supplement. I need to just merely supplement what you've just said, these strategies and finding that place with with a quote from you, again, exactly one of these gems that I'm talking about, looking for strategies that trick yourself into finding out what you think. Now, I I haven't come across a better way of putting what it is that you're doing when you're going back over what you're writing, even if it's in the act of, you know, you're writing it out longhand, and um, I've given myself away before on this program, I write most of what I do longhand, and you just happen to, you know, glance back over the last three or four pages that you filled. And in the spaces that you can find, you add in this bit, you run a line through that bit, and uh, you sit back, you take a deep breath, and you start thinking again, right? I mean... if you're revising in the sense that you are doing it better, as you as you describe it in the book, yeah, which is really one of the, I think also one of the one of the best ways of describing what revising is about, um, then that's what you're doing. You're, you're you're looking for a strategy and a stratagem for your mind so that you can get into that feedback mode to yourself. I guess you might say,
1: a feedback mode is a is a really nice way of conceptualizing, uh, conceptualizing it succinctly, you want to find a way of not recognizing what you've written because only by not recognizing it, I think, can you sustain the objectivity you need in order to go back and look at it responsibly and productively. Uh, You know, sometimes being able to write beautifully is a handicap uh, academic writing is not in its first. In, uh, uh, how can I put this as as carefully as I <laughs> as it needs to be put? A lot of academic writing is really boring, uh, and uh, a lot that of that was careful. The, <laughs> that was the careful version. <laughs> Believe me, Daniel, that, that that was the careful version. Um, uh, uh, there are many, many extraordinarily influential, uh, powerful, uh, uh, even game changing. Works in in the scholarly community that have influenced generations that were ne- that that would by no stretch of the imagination be described as beautifully written. Uh, that wasn't the objective. It also wasn't the skill set of the particular uh, particular writer. But I what what I wanted to sort of turn to was right Being able to write beautifully can be a real handicap because if you are uh, gifted with the capacity to almost instinctively shape and voice sentences and paragraphs uh, to uh, communicate a a kind of an instant pleasure in the reading. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it. The difficulty, however, is that the beauty of those sentences, the beauty of those paragraphs can mean you look at your work and you say, oh, no, I'm not going to touch that. No editor is going to touch that. And it can be really difficult to go back and look at that work. Um, uh, the 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 uh, sort of f- f- famous, if not notorious, first kill all your darlings as a piece of advice in terms of writing um, is a bit overblown. But on the other hand, it's important to know where your affection uh, for something you've written may be beyond uh, the question of its utility and its utility both for the reader and frankly for yourself in terms of developing an argument. It's really tough to cut stuff and yet there may be no writerly uh, feeling in the act of revising as satisfying as saying, wait, I don't need that paragraph or, wait, that's an article that's, burrow, that's sort of burrowed like a tick into this chapter. I'm going to cut it out. I'm going to clean it up, do something else with it and publish it separately. Or I'm going to use it as ancillary material if I'm invited to give a talk about the work that I'm publishing, but I don't want to merely repeat what's in chapter nine. Cutting is cutting is crucial, difficult, uh, but I, I promise reader I promise your your listeners uh, who may not have had this experience, it is enormously gratifying to find that you have both the clarity and the courage to say, "Yeah, this can go, and when it's gone, what's left reads better.
0: slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
2: It's it's, it's a very uh, straightforward uh, uh, statement of what it is that the nonfiction writer, the scholarly writer, or the scientist is trying to do. And this is something also that you emphasize in your book. The idea that it is, you talk about this in the connection with conclusions, but it's certainly true throughout uh, any piece that you're writing. It's the subject that comes first. And it's the subject that you need to listen to as you're revising. And then, of course, you need to be translating this subject into a communicative form that will reach the readers. And at some point, and your priority number three, as you stated in, in connection with the conclusions, and please uh, correct me if I'm taking that idea too far for the entire piece, at some point, you also need to think of where you yourself are satisfied or in the book or even in this case with the language, appreciating its beauty as you've, as you've turned it and, and, and um, expressed it.
1: When one finishes a text, one wants to have not only a sense that one has, as it were, accomplished a task uh, or completed the arc, um, and, and there's a lot of emphasis on that, the kind of uh, <clears throat> imagining one's work as uh you know this perfect crystal or as as i have um as i've said in in other circumstances imagining it like a snow globe uh this perfectly uh imagined and organized uh miniature world uh, protected from uh, human uh contact um i've uh politely suggested that the snow globe be nudged off the table, allowed to crash on the floor, um, because I think it's not a good way of imagining what books are like, and certainly not scholarship, Um, books that contain scholarship. The, The gesture that I want to encourage in revision is completely driven by... The dual objectives of a claim authoritatively produced and an audience responsibly acknowledged. That in seeing the audience on every page, not simply in the introduction and at the end, not imagining that people turn in, tune in at the beginning then go out to wash the car and do the shopping and come back and catch you at the very end. That's not what you want to be doing, and that's not what you want from your reader. But you want to leave the reader with things to do. Um, If one's working in an area that has an explicit, as it were, social balance, if you're working on um, uh, immigration, on the epidemiological crisis, on questions of... um, um, uh, economic stress, uh, economic stresses. You're working on um, questions of individual rights uh, and so forth. The, the endless number of quote-unquote real-world end-quote problems uh, that occupy so much of the sciences, the social sciences. Um then I think it's easier to kind of see what you want to happen, uh, what you want the reader to do with your with your writing. Um, it may not be that you are offering a, a band aid, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that band aids are really the objective of writing. Uh, but it may well be that by reconceptualizing a problem or naming a problem that has not been adequately named, in some cases that's as simple as crafting a conceptual marker, a phrase which can then be used in order to uh, further a conversation that's been stalled. These are the kinds of things that a writer can do not only for a reader, but with the reader. And uh, I would like, to the extent possible, to make people feel that, writing, and I think novelists know this. I'm not a novelist. Uh, what, what I have to say is not about fiction. Uh, I, don't, I don't write fiction. Uh, I, I love it and admire it, but I, I that's not what I do. Um, but to see the relation of writer, text, and author uh, of a scholarly work as constituting an ecosystem, that there is a, a set of, of uh, critically important interdependencies that hold these pieces together. They and like any ecosystem, they are vulnerable. They are um, uh, uh, they are conditions that will change. One thinks when one publishes a book that it's done. All the work, especially if, if one's done it online, that's one thing, because there's a possibility of, of fussing with a, a, a digital version in ways that are different from the ways of, that are available to you in print. But once it's in print, we sort of imagine, OK, that's done on to the next project. That is so not true. If you've written a book that's worth reading, uh, the book is going to have and develop its own life outside and away from the, from the, uh, from the writer And I think that's a demonstration of the kind of ecosystem dimension that I'm talking about. We can't control everything about a book once it's out there. We can respond to the way it's responded to. uh, And that means, again, listening really, really carefully to what people have said about it, what they're saying about it, how it's being used. But writing itself is something I think that's done almost more with the ears than with any other of of the senses. I I quip in the book that a a writer is a set of really, really good ears with adequate typing skills, and uh, and that certainly works for me. It's the way I think about the process of writing. Uh, I will say things out loud. I will read stuff out loud. By the way, I absolutely, absolutely encourage your listeners to read their work out loud, Uh, to see where it breaks, where you're asking readers to take breaths, where you're asking readers to make hairpin turns. Uh, These are are the practicalities of receiving someone's writing. And the only way for us as writers, any of us as writers, to to experience that is by trying to replicate it uh, by ourselves. And that means reading out loud and listening to what's coming out of our
2: mouths. And listening is a, it's, I want to say metaphor, but it's not a metaphor. You actually mean it literally, (laughs) but it it turns slightly into a metaphor when you talk about the fact that the book goes on, as you say, or the article, I mean, everything that you say really applies to, you know, both formats, Um, you, you, you say as much in the book. And it goes on in a conversation, in a discipline or a sub-discipline, an area of interest or a place where experts have found themselves together as a, it's really only possible nowadays, global community concerned about these particular problems that you've brought up. And this uh, is well known and well used in, in, in writing studies and at writing centers everywhere, uh, Kenneth Burke's idea that research is a conversation. and that you emphasize listening to the effect that you do is it melds in my mind anyway. So, so beautifully with that, so that we really understand that when we're done writing, we're not done writing and we're certainly not done thinking.
1: This is uh, for some, for some writers, this is a moderately terrifying truth about communication that there are uh, well let me put it this way i have encountered over many years of working with uh scholars uh on their work um i i don't i don't edit manuscripts uh, anymore and haven't for many years but i I do do faculty development workshops and people bring me in and i've read people's work in advance and i do critiques and then i come in and we we teach a high level seminar um in a in a room of people who are deeply invested in getting their own work to the place where it is ready for uh, for a public, um, it's tricky uh, for some writers merely to let go, and it's uh, a pretty simple cognitive. Uh, uh, behavior to describe at least if it's late it's got to be even better than if it was on time uh, this is maybe the motivation behind you know the student whose work is two weeks past the deadline and is holding the work back on the assumption that if it's late uh, it's got to be even better than the paper it would have been had it been turned in on the due date but I think there's a lot of that in the way people, refuse to let go of manuscripts. Um, and that's not something that I, I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about in revision, but I do think that, that the, the mechanisms of revision are in part, or the mechanisms of revision as I lay them out in this, in this book, are in part um, intended to free people from that terrifying burden of not being able to let it go. Uh, honestly I think people do not let texts go not because they feel oh I need to wait for one more data set from from this uh, from this source in order to be sure that it's updated further which is a kind of a understandable but ultimately unproductive way of, of delaying uh, the release of your own work Um but because the writer feels I've spent this long on it, it's got to be even better than if I had finished it when it was due, or when I told myself it was due, say three years ago. Uh, I I try in the book to lay out um, um, three big three I do lay out three big principles, or they're really axes for thinking about. How one is revising one's work—it's not a cookbook. There are very specific, uh, there are very specific recommendations. There are specific exercises, um, but the the bulk of the book is uh, divided uh, into two pieces: the uh, helping you understand what you already have, which is a lot harder than uh, it may sound. Uh, One can do reverse outlines of one's own work. That's easier if you're writing a 30-page article than if you have a 400-page manuscript. Um, Understanding uh, what you have on the page is the place to begin. But uh, the the three big categories of analysis that I offer are argument, uh, architecture, and audience. Uh, and I, you know, if people start talking about the three A's, I'll be delighted because I think it'll it'll clear up a lot of what uh, revision should um, deal with. Um, figuring out what you think and what you want to say. Uh, the word argument is such a tough one. Argument, claim, thesis. We use these as if they were interdependent, uh, rather uh, if they were. Uh, uh, not independent. If they were um, the same thing, or uh, uh, could be exchanged one for the other, as students will sometimes do. And I try to use claim with my undergraduates because I think it's the least terrifying of the of those ideas. I don't think a student writing five pages should be aiming to have a thesis, um, but I do think that uh, if one can say to a student, well, what do you think? What are you trying to say? Um, one is approaching the, the question of what we as, as professional writers or as professional writers to be identify as arguments. So that's, that's what I've used as, as the term of art, um, but it's figuring out what it is you want to say, what has been said and what you want to say that is different. And I would stress that's different. Um, it is as uh, <clears throat> um, smarter people than myself have repeatedly uh, reminded us that it is very easy to say things that are true and that everyone believes. Um, but that's not why you're going to read a book. <clears throat> the, the, the question of architecture <clears throat> is meant to put directly in front of the revising writer uh, shape, not simply the number of chapters and the order of chapters. Uh, but those are, those are significant issues. I, I have said that if, if the chapters of what you're working on can be reorganized without damage, <clears throat> then you don't have a structure. Uh, and I, I hope that's a, a startling observation and that for some listeners and that they will stop and say, well, wait a minute, but this is why that is the case in my manuscript. <clears throat> and I, my response would be, I, I'm not buying it. I think if you want to publish individual essays as articles, then that's perfectly fine. But if you're going to persuade a, a book publisher, an editor at a publishing house and indeed an individual reader, you want that sense of line, of project, of narrative, uh, because functionally we are all storytellers. Um, And if that uh, results in some pearl clutching in in certain disciplinary quarters, so be it. Um, uh, telling, Telling stories is not only a reasonable thing for scholarly writers. It is an essential thing for scholarly writers. We need to connect through the human act of narration uh, so that our readers will follow us with patience and curiosity. And that leads me to the most important uh, of the three A's, which is audience. Everything is about your reader. Um, there's a something um, sort of, uh, there's something self-abnegating about that, uh, and and writing is such a weird activity. It requires that one summons one's ego, one's sense of uh, one's own capacity to do something that has not been done quite that way or said quite that way by anyone else, and yet one needs to humble oneself before the be, before the questions, before the limitations of the evidence uh Before the 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 truth of the need of of reaching a reader and making it possible for the reader to say there's a writer here speaking and aware of my existence, and that this project has been written in such a way that my attention is is being sought, and I am being given questions to think about. Um, well, the last thing I'll just say about that questions to think about bit. <clears throat> we all know that very popular books uh, will come with questions, study questions at the end. And it, it, if you're teaching, if you're teaching in the university, at university level and you're using such an edition, you might say to your students, don't pay attention to the questions at the end. You as the teacher may want to use some of those questions. But more to the point, it feels as if it's, it's a structure that's right for, say, high school students. And, and that's fine. But what I want to call people's attention to is the fact that we kind of want to be doing that, not by putting specific questions in an appendix at the end of a monograph on, on, um, on uh, uh, Arctic shipping. Um, but we do want to have questions embedded into, uh, as it were, the finale or perhaps stretching all the way through whatever we're writing uh, it's in part an acknowledgment of this ecological relationship that the reader has work to do, that is, has thinking work to do. And it also is an acknowledgment that you as a writer don't know everything about the subject. Uh, that, I think, would be a, a, a kind of fatal mistake for uh, for even uh, a very learned writer on a specific topic. Um, we want to always open the book up outward and invite the reader in. And one of the ways of doing that is going to be consistently to honor the uh, curiosity the and the intelligence of the, of the reader uh, as someone who can take what's in this book and use it.
2: And that brings up many of the questions that you follow through in the book, uh, things about, uh, Aboutness and argument, because where you are arguing, you achieve far more readily what you've just been talking about—the idea that the reader is listening to you and answering you, even though this—and this is metaphorical—, even though this conversation on the page doesn't, you know, sound out as a dialogue. It is a dialogue in two different minds, or many different minds. Um, we always hope to have many different readers, of course, and. You won't necessarily achieve that. You, you're you going to have a very hard time of achieving something like that if you're in the about mode, if what you're looking for is explanation, yeah? if you're, what you're looking for is mere description. And description and explanation have their places. Arguments can't be built without them. But if you stop at that level, if you allow your text merely to have... Said what is without saying what may be, what should be, what must be. Well, then you're not in argument mode, are you?
1: And in, in, in order for that, in order for that to to uh, obtain, um, the writer has to take risks. And it sounds like a funny thing to say about scholarly work because academics in general are risk-aversive and the conservative nature of higher education does not encourage risks, at least not of the kind that are meaningful. Uh, And yet it's exactly what one wants to be able to do, to find a perspective on a subject where the reader uh, understands the writer to be saying, I don't know everything about this. It may not be the case that I've read, <clears throat> I've read the data and the archival remains uh, in a way that you will. But here's what I'm positing. Um, it's, it may not be necessary to personalize what the writer is saying <clears throat> at that level, but, but in te- <clears throat> sorry, but um, I think it is important for the writer and the reader to understand that a book is not, as it were, the truth in two covers. It is as close to the truth as the writer can summon. But the truth value of the text is in part produced by what the reader does with it. Uh, and getting the reader to do anything with one's text needs to be uh, a very clear objective on the part of the writer.
2: And I think that the, and this is another area you explore in the book of from what... Uh, evidence base you typically work are you a social scientist are you a natural scientist to whom you also speak in the book on uh, at different levels are you in humanities these these directions do still have not still they they have significant uh, Effects on the way people write and see writing, because I think some of the problems that you address in the area truth between two covers is more inherent in the humanities area, whereas I think a scientist is going to very readily see um, the sorts of scientists who, you know, publish dozens of articles moving forward. Centimeter by centimeter, yeah. I mean, inch is a little big for this. <laughs> um, their area of of research, and and when you, for instance, in the book, talk about view your text as a performance script. This brings us back to the beginning of our interview, where you said, you know, stages. Keep that in mind. Hold that thought. View it as a performance script. Make it be less permanent than what you feel it is at the moment of finishing it. Leave it open to interpretation, because I think many scientists would agree. With impact factors and citation numbers and so on, all of that aside, there is no such thing as a successful article. But there is such thing, a such a thing as a successful scientist. And that is, in a way, I think what you're trying to encapsulate with this idea that the text is contributing. It's not the contribution, though.
1: That, that's great that's great and I, I and thanks for bringing in both scientists and and scholarly articles written by scientists yeah I, I have a kind of default distinction between articles and books uh, many disciplines outside of the humanities don't depend upon books to authenticate and validate someone's tenure or their permanent appointment in a research site or at, at, or at a uh, university um <clears throat> in the humanities we're uh, expected to produce a lot of books and i think what go and along with that there is a tacit assumption that it's not that hard for us to write books because uh, we are we're, we're word people uh, uh which i think is kind of kind of terrifying and sweet at the same time um but the article Uh, The scientist's article does one kind of thing, and the scientist's book, written for a general audience, does something very, very different. Uh, It is uh, a source of enormous pleasure to millions of readers when a scientist who has a lot to say and is willing to make the translation into uh, a non-technical language is able to describe something about the world. And and bestsellers by scientists do, do exactly that. Uh, they're not uh, concatenating their scholarly articles into a volume and producing a, uh, a book of such. They are, they're retelling their research as a story. They are narrativizing their laboratory results. And uh, I, I think maybe that there is a... A further lesson for those of us who work in the social sciences or the humanities uh, to think about that transfer, that re-narrativization. Uh, if anything, uh, the scholars in the humanities and social sciences feel, uh, or can feel, or can be made to feel there—that's a, perhaps a more accurate way of describing it—that uh, if only they produced things with the clarity and decisiveness of scientists wouldn't the humanities be a, uh, a, a better funded and therefore happier place uh, It's it, it ain't that simple and uh, it's also the wrong set of questions um, I, I talk a little bit about um, Gilbert Ryle and category confusions category mistakes uh, it's important not to ask the wrong questions about disciplines uh, The 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 uh, human-centered work of the humanities is always going to present challenges different from the lab-centered work of the scientists, and and that's fine. Um, but I uh, I love the idea of maintaining uh, very precise uh, sort of inside inside the business work at the, in scholarly journals and somewhat more generous, somewhat uh, more oxygenated prose and larger structures uh, that would yield narratives, book-length narratives on any of our subjects. For uh, that complicated big set of readers out there, as you say, we don't, we don't know who all our readers are. We have to create a reader. We have to imagine a reader who is capable of uh, engaging thoughtfully uh, the most important things we have to say. But honestly, uh, I've never met a writer who wouldn't say, I'm hoping all sorts of people will read, will read my, my new book. And implicit in that is all sorts of people I will never meet and will never hear from. That's exactly what one wants to happen. And the only thing one can do is to prepare for that eventuality as best as one can.
2: Um, I entirely agree. I mean, my own background is, as my listeners will know, um, in the humanities. And uh, this is a message out to listeners who are from different fields, particularly scientists, who I have tried to uh, draw to my um podcast, that this book is also for you. And Bill, what you say there about on the one hand, what the books do and what the precision specialist articles do, there is still revision going on in both places. And I found myself uh, every two or three pages making a note in the margin of how this could apply, sometimes without any change of wording or or context uh, to research articles for scientists, I had to learn the hard way coming from humanities that it is true that you need to teach writing differently to a scientist who wants to write a research article. I mean, it took me some time to accept that I don't necessarily need to send them to the best novelist, perhaps, to realize (laughs) what language can do. If they have free time, which very few scientists, unfortunately, don't, by all means, if that's a pastime of yours, keep it up. Um, But there are different. You are right. There are different things happening in these different genres. But still, your book attains a level of abstraction with concrete examples, tips together with, uh, as you uh, point out very much in, in, in the introduction, a an investigation of what it is this pro- what it is that this process is, and all of that applies to the writer, and I stress the.
1: <laughs> there is uh, there is uh, an almost it seems to me almost endless number of things one can say about revision, uh, because it is so critical and yet so under discussed. There are, in recent. In recent years, there have been uh, a, a couple of uh, e- events, conversations that have appeared. Uh, uh, other other writers, uh, in particular writers who work on fiction, have been uh, addressing uh, the enigma of revision uh, for um, for fiction. Uh, I'm I'm so happy that revision is kind of i hope getting it's due perhaps this is the maybe this is revisions moment uh and uh among the things that um we we didn't talk about and and uh, one's reader uh and one's uh listener can can take it further is what is different about the digital as opposed to working uh, uh manually um i i would just just say on that point that um so much of what we do happens so quickly uh when we're working uh, with text. we think uh you know I didn't revise I just changed a word uh or I that sentence I changed I made six changes in that sentence before I put a period at the end of it. Was that revision? Well, these are almost theological distinctions um uh, I, I would argue that there is a uh, a kind of uh, light-speed revision going on, and we call that revision thinking. Um, and, and that's okay. I, I'm not uh, making territorial claims on particular activities as being the only ones that constitute revision. Um, the, the the big goal, I think, for me and for anybody else who's thinking about revision and trying to write about it, is to help other people who are writing to recognize critical processes in their own work, name those processes, see them as processes that everybody goes to. And that absolutely, this is revising is not a sign of weakness. It is an acknowledgement of the capacity uh, that one has as a writer to take good work and make it better. It's always good to better. It should never be thinking, never be thought of as good to quote, getting it all right, or worse, getting it perfect. That won't happen. I uh, was giving a talk the other day to, uh, to primarily to engineers because those students are the uh, largest cohort at the college at Cooper Union where I teach, and I I said that – you know, the revision is going to have an asymptotic relationship to the ideal paper that you were ideal article or book that you're working on. And there were a few grins. I said, yeah, another humanist using a mathematical term, but this is okay." I think the asymptote is a is a is a very useful way of imagining what the relationship of the revised text has to the idealized perfect text that will remain forever in the writer's head.
2: Well, Bill, you've been uh, very generous with your time. I I do have one last question, though. Um, The British say revise, and they can also mean, as you probably well know, to study for an exam, going back over your notes. And that brings us right into the area of learning, which um, is something I briefly mentioned in my intro and something that you give fair space to in the book, the connection between revision and learning. And I suppose with the last question, I'd I'd like to spin that in a slightly more practical level. What would you see, say, for first year writing at university or any other beginning writers would be the educational step that teachers would need to make so that they understood revision as part of their learning process?
1: It's such an important question and it's such an important gesture. Um, I know I struggle with it and I think any teacher who works with first-year students uh, needs, first of all, to make the space-time for it. That is, the syllabus uh, would ideally be redrawn or recrafted in a way that built revision into the work of the classroom. Um, Some... In class, writing some in class sharing, uh, teamwork, pairing students up and having them read something that the other student has produced and giving feedback. Uh, I'm I like very much the idea of students being entrusted with giving feedback to one another and encouraged and shown how to do so. It's um, it's um, I think always useful to make messy the distinction between learning and teaching and also for teachers to confess that they don't know all the answers um being able to say to students uh i want we're going to work on revising this to get closer to what each of you are trying to do and it's not because i the teacher have the answer in my head and i'm asking you to guess to read my mind um, I don't think good teachers ever do that, but sometimes good teachers need to say that to their students so that students don't think that what they're involved with is a kind of uh, uh, is a kind of is a kind of guessing game. I also have worked. Uh, I have a colleague who, uh, in, a, in another field, will have a student revise work several times over the course of the semester, and once again, that's great if if you can make time for it. But the institution, I think, to back up a little bit, the institution uh, within which a first-year writing class is uh, being housed would need to recognize that at the highest level in order to make room for that much uh, classroom time uh, during the course of the semester so that revision can really be thought of. And finally, once you say... We're going to spend four weeks revising work and say that at the beginning of a semester. One has put one's marker down and announced, this is a class that is not going to distinguish writing from revision because, frankly, the only way to get to good writing is through revision. There isn't a shortcut. Let's name that process. Let's claim that process and be
2: happy about the opportunity to make our writing work even better. Well, thank you very much. Uh, That is William Germano and his book, On Revision, The Only Writing That Counts, is out now with the University of Chicago Press. I'm Daniel Shea, and this is goodbye from me to Bill. Goodbye. Thanks, Daniel. And this is goodbye to all of you. Bye-bye, and until next time here on Scholarly Communication.